Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. Today on this last Sunday of the Epiphany, this season of the manifestation of God in the world, the story of that manifestation reaches its glorious crescendo. Jesus appears on the mountain top alongside Moses and Elijah, each of their appearances changing in their clothes, becoming a dazzling white. In the context of the New Testament, the story of the Transfiguration is a rather odd tale. Although mentioned in other places, neither Moses nor Elijah make another appearance in the entire New Testament canon. It is somewhat understandable then that Peter's first reaction is to state that he will build three dwelling places for them. Why not? In Peter's milieu, glory and power was something that was confined to particular places and particular people. In the Judaic world, the temple in Jerusalem stood as the place on the earth where God's power and glory was to dwell. Likewise, in the world of Rome that dominated Peter's and Jesus' everyday life, the great building projects of Herod the Great and Caesarea Maritima, the Winter Palace of Jericho and the Fortress of Masada, and numerous archways inscribed with the Emperor's name were all vast in scale statements proclaiming that the power and glory of Rome was centralized in one man, the Emperor. Out of context, then, the story of the Transfiguration could so easily look like some sort of cosmic coronation, confirmation that Jesus' time for power and glory had come. After all, it is in this dazzling appearance that Jesus is declared to be God's Son, the Chosen One. Yet this is not a coronation of a Saviour set above the lowly of the earth. It is the inauguration of a very different sort of power. In contrast to the imperial rule of Rome, the power of God as we encounter it in the life of Jesus is not centralized but is instead a centrifugal force, a movement of power outward from God. Through his earthly ministry, Jesus doesn't merely dispense divine power like an alternative peasant emperor. He shares it, empowering others in his name to radiate that gift to others around them. We see that in the passage that precedes this one in Luke, where Jesus calls the twelve apostles giving them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases and sending them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The same pattern is repeated throughout the arc of the New Testament. The way of Jesus is the original user-led movement, even if it can be the case that there can be some sputters in the engine at the start. You have to wonder what the lesson is from Luke right there from the transfiguration that the disciples try but fail to offer a healing. 
Yet the testament of hope that we find in the Gospels is that that movement of power does not give up when it faces an obstacle. And the diffusion of glory and power through the lives of ordinary people has been the revolutionary character of Christianity ever since. What is clear now, this week, written in sharp relief upon the lives of the people of Ukraine, is that we are in desperate need in this world of a revolution of this sort of power. Across the world, when lives are taken with assumed impunity, when a people are denigrated and imprisoned simply because of their ethnic background or their sexuality or their political views, and it is clear that we are in need of a revolution of power. Every time the bigot speaks, every time people rally around the call to diminish another human life in the pursuit of their own gain, we know that it is time for us to take our part in a revolution of power. Yet it is important for us to recognize that the revolution of power that you and I are inheritors of as followers of Jesus Christ is an expression of power that never seeks to coerce others, never seeks to use power over and against another, but is patterned in the life and action of the one who shows us the way to this sort of revolutionary power through the vulnerable self-giving love we see on the cross. But there we see what true power looks like. The power of love giving itself away for others. Such a power is easy to dismiss. We can too easily be happy to call upon the power of love when we are in need of comfort from our sorrows, but not as much when we feel our circumstances are such that they assume that real power should be exercised. It's the kind of theology that keeps God on the shelf for pastoral emergencies, but never in the face of real threat. Yet we meet here, having, following, having followed in the footsteps of those who have walked with Jesus along this way of self giving love of the cross. And through their lives we see the capacity of power to change lives and to open up ways for justice and freedom to reign, particularly in places and in circumstances where there has seemed to be no way to walk forward on that path. We see this power in the life of so many who have struggled for the freedom and dignity of others. We see it in the life of Oscar Romero, Archbishop of San Salvador, who cried out at the oppression of his people who suffered at the hands of the state that was sworn to protect them. We see this power in the silent protest of Rosa Parks, refusing to see her dignity to sit on a bus as any different to anyone else. We see this power in the life of John Lewis, in his march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, a march that inspired a thousand marches for freedom in hope of a more just and equitable union for all God's people. 
There are so many who have dedicated their lives to the hope that we can indeed achieve a revolution of power. So many that proclaim to us that transfiguration is possible and not the preserve of few, but the hope of all. To set within its proper theological relief, the story of the transfiguration is a story of the manifestation of light amid darkness. Proclamation that in the struggles against inequity, the people of God have known for so very long, the holiness of the creator of the heavens and the earth was upon them, upon these overlooked and previously enslaved people, that through these people, the Shekinah of God, the glory of God is present, that they are where God chooses to make God's dwelling. It is the story that proclaims in the words of theologian Thomas Curry that all people are called to be glory-bearing, glory-reflecting, and glory-bound. We meet in the name of a God who declares to us that transfiguration is not only possible but is our obligation. Is the hope that we must set before us if all God's children are to be free. That we are called to be proclaimers of that hope in this present hour of the world's struggles. May we be people of God's manifestation in our own place and time. May we know the strength, the power, the self-giving love of God in our own lives that we may show forth that love in word and deed for the sake of God's kingdom, where peace and justice will indeed reign upon the earth. Amen.